Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jill Harding, and you're listening to I've Got a Feeling, the podcast where we discuss what grounds us, what makes us feel alive, what fuels our hearts, and ultimately what brings us each to flourishing. On this podcast, I have conversations with friends I've known for ages, people I've only just met, and people who inspire me by how they demonstrate flourishing, at least from my vantage point. The guests on this show are from a wide variety of backgrounds, belief systems, and life experiences, and I hope that from these interviews, you gain a sense of the breadth of unique examples of what flourishing can look like, and take these ideas as inspiration to discover how you might create wellness and flourishing in your own life. Hey everybody, welcome back to it. I've Got a Feeling podcast today. You are on episode two. Today we welcome to the podcast my friend and fellow therapist Rachel Carr. She is a licensed therapist in the state of Missouri, soon to be also in the state of Ohio. And we have been on this therapy journey together our whole careers. We went to school together. We started practices together. We have been sharing a practice location for a couple of years now, and we have just been through the ringer together. Um, Rachel has always been an inspiration to me of what boundaries can look like, what it means to care for yourself in the midst of difficulties. And she comes on today and speaks about what it looks like when that could be overdone a little bit, what it looks like when you pull back so far that you forget how to connect to your support system. And um, she also just talks a lot about the, the idea of giving yourself permission to be exactly where you're at. So I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. I am grateful that she was willing to go deep and also to share a little bit at the end from a therapist's perspective about what we all can be thinking about as it relates to flourishing. So thanks for joining us again and welcome to I've Got a Feeling. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jill. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, As my listeners know from the intro, you are my longtime therapist buddy. (laughs) And will you tell the listeners how we know each other? Actually, I'd like to give a disclaimer before we move forward. Mm -hmm. As I hear my dryer in the background. Um, (laughs) My last episode, it was pretty clear that there was ambient noise happening. (laughs) There were some Super Bowl fans in the hallway some traffic noises, and this is just not a, uh, what do they call that? A set apart. Yeah, (laughs) we're not in a high-tech podcast studio. So we're going to have some authentic house sounds throughout probably every episode. So if we kick the table that we're sitting near, or if you hear my um, detergent cap that I accidentally left in the dryer. <laughs> That's what that is. So sorry to my listeners. So yeah, tell the listeners a little bit about how we know each other. Yeah, so we met our first year of graduate school at Covenant Seminary in the counseling degree. Over a decade ago. A long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> in the fall of 2011. Yeah, think, yeah. That's when we started. 
And we were like friendly with each other and knew each other because it's small school. Mm-hmm. But we didn't spend a lot of time together socially until our last year, our third year, mm-hmm. where we were doing our counseling internship and we found ourselves in the counseling department at similar times, <laughs> completing notes. Mm-hmm. Wasting time. Consulting on each other's faces. <laughs> uh, crying in the <laughs> corner. Not not really. Maybe sometimes. Um, Processing our own relationships. <laughs> relationship issues. Gone wrong. Yes. yes. I do. I do remember uh, us making cupcakes for Sabrina, who was our coordinator, mm-hmm. the counseling coordinator, for reaching her licensure hours, which is crazy to think about now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Considering now we're however long into our careers. Yeah, and deep into our own licenses at this yeah. point. So, Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. I feel like we have always spent a lot of time uh, consulting, I guess is the right word, mm-hmm. about all kinds of theoretical and practical and from every angle, the things going on in our brains about counseling, but also about life. And even as I was thinking about this podcast, we talked a lot about what flourishing looks like for clients, for ourselves as therapists. And it's actually a topic I think we talked about long before it was an idea for a podcast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I, I, I wanted you to come on the podcast because I think that you have a good awareness of what it takes to pursue flourishing because you've had to really dedicate time and energy to that for yourself, both to kind of dig it out of uh, kind of an underground, like, how do I find it again space, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What does it look like now in this new season of life? But also reimagining and dreaming again about what flourishing means with the you that you are now. Mm-hmm. But as I think about that, I'm just curious for you, looking back, can you identify when it was that you looked at your life and you thought, you know what, I want something better. I want to pursue wellness and, and what maybe was going on in your life that led up to that moment. Yeah. I think, I mean, the interesting thing is when I think back at my life, like looking back the trajectory of my life, I think there are at any point in my life, I could go back and pinpoint times where I, something happened that led me moving more toward myself kind of how I like to think about it as moving towards myself, what I want for myself. Um, But when I think about my current season of life, um, but also just the ones that have been probably the most significant for me have happened in the last five years or so. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of that started when I started to have some um, health issues pop up uh, a little bit while we were in school mm-hmm. um, and then just increasingly worse over the years um, and my ability to do the things I used to do kind of diminished uh, which made 
my anxiety increase a lot. And so things that didn't used to make me anxious or didn't used to be hard for me became really difficult. Mm. I noticed I was cutting myself off, um, kind of withdrawing Mm. from my life. From relationships and more? Yeah. So from relationships, probably one of the first things that went. I think taking care of myself in bigger ways went probably was the very first thing to go. Things like running and going to the gym and stuff because I physically wasn't able to do those Mm -hmm. to the degree that I did before. And so it felt easier for me to just pull away rather than keep hoping that was going to change. Um, And then that really morphed into just socially and relationally withdrawing from people until my life kind of was just me, work, my dog. Do you feel like that social and relational withdrawal was um, like with your health because you just couldn't do it anymore or whatever phrase you used or was it a protection of some kind? I think it was definitely a protective mm. experience. I think earlier on, before all of this, <clears throat> back in college and post-college, I had just had some relationships not go the way expected, and some people close to me kind of, you know, ended up distanced for very specific reasons. And, um, yeah, so I had had some pain in relationships. And I think when it made me cautious of getting close to people. And so when I started having more limitations, it made me respond in a kind of a, more of a fear-based way of, I'm not going to be capable of giving to people what I have in the past, which was something that I valued, used to value myself mm-hmm. in my relationships. What can I give? And so, so I felt it was sort like, of like conserving resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and worried about rejection. You know, if I can't be there in a certain capacity, then I might experience rejection in those relationships. So it was felt easier in some respects to just pull away and try to wait until I could like, kind of fix myself before I would feel safe to enter back into any sort of, you know, real vibrant relationships. Which is kind of a funny phrase when probably from a therapist's point of view, this idea of fixing yourself before you're able to engage in relationship, right? But Mm -hmm. when you're the person going through it, it feels so real. It feels so real. It's, I mean, when you're watching someone go through that, you just have a whole different perspective on what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helpful to have someone with that perspective walking you through it. But when it's you, it sometimes feels impossible because you're just scared, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that fear is very real and sometimes very visceral. Um, And I think around that time when I started to notice how much my life had changed, I just felt kind of like realizing that I didn't have the means to help myself out of that, that I maybe had thought I did. What kind of means? What do you, Um, like support. Mm -hmm. I didn't have internal support for my own self. 
of how to work through those feelings, um, how to work through such a, a big shift in my own life, but also all the insecurities that came from it, mm-hmm. you know, and I could see how those insecurities had been present all along, but the more pressure was placed on top of them, uh, the worse that I did with it. Mm-hmm. So I guess clarify for me then, is it is it part of this pulling back this conserving of things that was a first step toward caring for yourself? Or was that something that you felt prohibited you from knowing how to care for yourself? I think it was a catalyst and that it was all I had to reach toward at the time. Like it was the only thing left available to me. Mm -hmm. And what really made the shift in moving towards, you know, more towards good things for myself was when I realized how affected I had been by my isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, I don't, not like, regret having done that. I don't look back on myself with, like, a lot of judgment or anything because I know that that's, I was doing the best I could with what I had. But I became really numb emotionally and I felt like I lost a lot of joy in life and I started to recognize that and miss it and so you know I think it was a helping me to see how serious it was and how if I really wanted those things back in my life I couldn't keep doing it in the way that I was doing it so would you say that kind of at that moment as you're I guess feeling catalyzed toward change you're you're recognizing that this joy these pieces of things that you feel like you don't currently have access to those are something you look at as that's what flourishing would feel like for me yeah I think so like I would like watching a TV show or watching a movie and realize I wasn't emotionally connecting to the characters. I didn't feel a whole lot like snuggling my dog or, you know, uh, talking to my sister on the phone who is my best friend, you know, having conversations or doing fun things together that used to, I used to feel so much more in those moments and everything felt dull. Mm. Um, and I realized that didn't that just didn't feel like me. I think um, I around this time of isolation, I started also having some panic attacks, which pushed me back into um, a, into a new type of therapy, mm-hmm. different from what I had been doing prior to that. And I think that was really where I began to be a little bit more recognizing what is happening. So. Therapy was a big part of that for me, which and giving shouldn't you be surprising. Words and descriptions for what it what you were going through meant. Yeah, and for just even just even somebody inquiring about it, about me being curious, having to sit with someone and realize how scared I was just to sit in the room with them mm-hmm. was a big realization to me. Big kind of wake up of, oh, this isn't really who I know myself to be. And I think I want more than that. So, I mean, you said choosing to go back to therapy was Mm -hmm. a step, but 
as a result of what you were learning in that space? What, what did you start to change in decisive caring for yourself? Hmm. Yeah, so that didn't happen until a little while after going to see my new therapist. I felt like I wasn't making a lot of strides in the way I wanted to. I just felt still like I was surviving, and I wasn't sure how much, like, how much longer can I just survive? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I did during that time of being more isolated was I would just immerse myself in watching TV. Mm-hmm. It was mindless. And sometimes I could I'll, I could experience some emotion mm-hmm. <laughs> through if something was strong enough to move me, I could connect a little bit to that again. Um, <laughs> I could connect back to, into some of those parts of myself that I felt were really hidden away. Um, so I was consuming a lot of media and I came across um, this uh, Korean pop band called BTS. And very, I didn't... Very famous. Very days. famous these days. Yes. Um, and I didn't really know anything about them except for they were really popular. I think I'd seen them on like the late show or something, mm-hmm. not even an interview or anything. I just heard them being talked about, saw a preview or something. So that was all the context I had, but I'd been watching a lot of like Korean dramas at the time. And I thought, well, I like the other media they put out. Maybe I'd like their music. Let's see what it's all about. Um, so this was a little bit before the pandemic started, mm-hmm. I think maybe the fall before. And I just really liked the music. It was different and genre bending and, and just earworm some of it, but also um, very deep mm. and heartfelt. Like lyrically? Lyrically, uh, which of course it's mostly in Korean, so... I'm, you know, looking up lyric translations, which if you know me, you know, that's not a surprise. I like to dive deep into things mm. that I love. So, um, but I hadn't felt excited about something like that to to put that kind of effort or energy into it for a long time. I was going to say, it sounds like a spark of connection to something that was new again. Yeah. And if I think about it right now, I think that that probably has to do with how much, um, like, there is a spark of life within the band, in their relationships with each other, and then in turn in their relationships they have with their fans. Um, there's something that feels very genuine, very authentic, um, but also very joyous. Mm. Taking joy in people who are different from you, um, in their differences. Mm. And that was so attractive to me beyond just the music and the depth and poetry of the lyrics and how much they touched me watching their relationships with each other made me ache for something that I hadn't experienced really maybe ever Hmm. so what how would you describe the longing that that touched on that that kind of made you recognize for the first time it sounds like Mm mm-hmm I think it was really like a deep longing to be enjoyed, to be cherished or adored in a way. Um, You know, not needing to be understood 100%, but to be, I mean, 
I really don't know I can think of much of a different word for it other than love, mm. to be loved in this way that was very genuine, very pure, but also, like, not perfect. And that's what you were seeing demonstrated between the bandmates, but also in how they interacted with their fans. Yeah, a nuanced perspective of their fans, an appreciation for who they are from all different walks of life, uh, a genuine care about the things that affect us, and a bond in a way. So in becoming a fan, you're joining the ranks of people that are being loved in that way. Yeah. Right? You're instantly getting to experience some of those things, but also it it sounds like it was educational for you in what it might guide you toward in other relationships. It made me think about what, what it was I was really looking for in my relationships. What is it that I really wanted deep down that I think I wasn't always sure how to really even articulate to myself even. Um, but I think that you know, if you were to go down that path, I think in certain circumstances, it could be easy for that to turn into maybe unhealthy type of relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. you're looking for something that you don't have. You're, you see it in this, you know, these people you don't know personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that could that be taken advantage of or could you lean too far, too hard on something that, People who aren't going to be able to personally be sitting next to you and have a conversation with you when you're having a hard time. Um, And I think what was different about this was going back to the music and the lyrics and what the band was singing about. Um, That they were communicating their own journeys of learning how to love themselves. And it wasn't trite. It was complex and complicated and sometimes tragically sad. Hmm. And that felt very real to me. Real and what what do you mean by real? That a fight to love yourself is not something that's easy. Hmm. Um, But is that something you felt like echoed what you already knew or was that new information? No, I think that echoed something that I already knew to be true. I think I I had for a long time felt like loving myself was not something that was possible. Mm. And I don't know that I'd ever seen modeled by somebody that I felt like I had a connection to moving towards loving yourself in a way that was complicated, that didn't have necessarily an end goal or an end journey that allowed for a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, but that held this this thread throughout that you matter, hmm. you have value, and so in the like in the journey to towards loving yourself, that's worthwhile because you matter. Yeah, you know, and so here are these seven Korean men halfway around the world. Yeah, who I will probably never meet in my life. Is that some of these people who could be so different from me come from such a different space than me or reflecting or, or reality and a truth to me that I could hadn't been able to absorb from anybody else before, yeah. which was that I really did matter. I was worth fighting for myself. 
And so much of that came from the vulnerability that they exhibited and so much of their music, but also they'll sit down and do these lives, you know, they turn on kind of like an Instagram live Mm -hmm. and just talk, talk about what they're experiencing right then, talk about stories behind their music. And there's a real sense of intimacy and trust. I'm trusting, entrusting you with my story. Mm. And something about that demonstration really, it touched that longing in me and gave me enough strength, I think, for me to actually grab a hold of it. So you mentioned that this all kind of came into your life just before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I imagine... You know, that time, very complicatedly, (laughs) both was a detriment, but also an opportunity to focus in on these things in Mm -hmm. a way that through, I guess it was an opportunity to allow some of the space that was created socially to remove some of that noise. And I I think what you were saying, too, is just you already had been creating that space. Mm -hmm. So how did how did you feel that was impacted by 2020, 2021? Yeah, well, so my health issues got worse um, during that time. Also, I spent lo- ended up spending lockdown um, at my with my parents, and my sister mm. in Ohio, and that was really driven by me not being in a physical or emotional state to be. S- completely cut off from the rest of the world in a small one-bedroom apartment yeah. um, in a city where I didn't have any family. And so I, my need became more extreme, I would say. Maybe not. That might be a little too harsh of a way of putting it, but it intensified. And then my access to any sort of other resources became limited. And so I needed, I needed more. And then I, when I started to admit that to myself, I need more. It felt really good to have my family close by in a time of need rather than, whereas in the past, maybe that didn't always feel as good or wasn't mm-hmm. always as, as helpful or comforting. I had reached a space where maybe it could be. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize how much in need I had really been this whole time. Oh, so it kind of illuminated something that had been there all along that you hadn't been able to name. Yeah. And I think it was self-protective, honestly, when I think about it, naming it. And, um, you know, the kind of the other big catalyst for me besides getting really involved and being BTS Army Mm -hmm. um, was this training that I um, did in 2021, beginning of 2022, uh, for a different type of trauma therapy Mm. and you know having this sort of support and encouragement from being a part of this community with bts army it's not just the band too it's all the fans are there they're supportive of each other Mm -hmm. i developed a closer relationship with my mom with my sister a really good friend of mine from college we were able to get closer through bonding through that experience. So they all were enjoying the same mm-hmm. band and you were just bonding over that. Yeah. And we were able to enjoy it together. Mm-hmm. And I think 
there was there was just some lifting for me with all of that experience, which allowed me to realize, hey, I want some support in my job. I think mm-hmm. maybe I want to try a different type of training. Mm-hmm. So I decided on this training. It's called NARM, Neuroaffective Relational Model. So mm-hmm. What that stands for. Um, and it was through both learning uh, the content, but also through our practical practicing mm. of NARM and small groups um, that I really began to realize <laughs> just to the extent my aversion and asking for support and asking for help was being detrimental to me. Wow. It was standing in my way of getting relief. But I was so scared. I had always been so scared. What was the fear there? The fear that asking for support would break a relationship, that someone would disappoint you, that you wouldn't have access to what you needed? I think some a fear of not being having access, a fear of if I... I think what I realized in that professional setting was that I felt like I had to perform. I had to perform. I had to show myself as being competent. Mm-hmm. But I obviously wasn't competent at the material. It was brand new. Right. Right. You're literally learning. <laughs> You're it. literally a novice. And so was everybody else. But there was such a strong need to appear as if I needed no help, appear as if I was okay. Um, and that I you know, was sabotaging myself, essentially. Mm. Um, And the thing with NARM is that that's going to catch up to you Mm. pretty much right away. Which, in retrospect, you'd already been noticing in your life. I had. And it was just this really blatant, like, you know, I'm sitting there trying to play the therapist and my uh, coach is, you know this is all about you. You're allowed to stop and ask for questions and ask for support. And um, she's just looking at me right through the screen. And I'm clearly struggling. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was like this moment of like, so are you going to stop and ask? (laughs) I mean, she didn't say that, but like, that was the moment for me. And it was such an incredible dilemma. Mm. I felt all kinds of things like selfish, wrong i was arguing with myself Mm -hmm. Hmm. asking for support for myself when i'm supposed to be the therapist helping the client right Mm. even though the whole exercise was about me Mm -hmm. it was about you play as the therapist and you stop and ask for support and questions and what are you supposed to do here and what's helpful there and and i just felt such huge conflict yeah and i was like this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, so I was able to, to take some of those new revelations back to therapy, my own personal therapy, and talk them out with my therapist a little bit, work through with her just some of the fears, like through our my relationship with her fears that were clearly coming up of rejection, of not of like needing having needs yeah and whether that was even an okay thing to have happen yeah um and then it was simultaneously pain at playing out in my training Mm. it was a nine-month training so it was 
four modules over the course of nine months. So it was like returning back to this topic every couple of months uh, and having the dilemma put right in front of me. Are you going to ask for help now? Yeah. Are you going to ask for help now? And then making the choice to do it. Which is honestly a very convenient accountability system for your own healing. (laughs) And I, but I also think like I could have run away from that. Yeah. You know, the, the very first like encounter of the dilemma that I had in the training was really disruptive for me. And it was the last day of the first module. And I was like, do I even want to continue doing this? And I could have made the choice not to, but I started to have that, this voice that has since grown louder and louder of, but you won't get what you need. Mm. If you do that, you won't get what you need. And so I did make a, I can see now as a deliberate choice. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to myself for doing that. I'm grateful to myself for putting myself in the position years before by finding the right therapist for me and um, by not running away in certain aspects. You know, they might have been small at the time, but they were important Yeah, to get to the place where that voice grew loud enough that I actually started to want that more. Mm-hmm. I wanted support. And I think about it now, it's like, it's just honesty with myself. I like need you that. you been hiding from yourself before. Yeah. It sounds like that's a lot of the footwork then that you got from entering into this like joyful learning inspiring space kind of by accident Mm -hmm. finding this fandom to join Mm -hmm. by just hearing a name on a late night show maybe Mm -hmm. that really opened you up in a way to be able to challenge yourself to take those risks yeah like when you listen to someone so Two of the members have impacted me the most, I think, in this way, through mm-hmm. some of their solo work. Obviously, BTS, their group um, songs are really impactful, but um, their stage names are RM and Suga. Mm-hmm. They're both rappers, essentially poets. Mm-hmm. And they both have had really difficult mental health struggles. Anxiety, depression, OCD, social anxiety... Um, and I, what I would probably characterize as some trauma, they haven't said that, so I can't really say that, but Mm -hmm. just from, um, some really hard things they went through and they both have a couple of songs where they're incredibly honest about it to see someone express the depth of struggle of self-hatred or, of maybe not entirely connecting to the desire to be alive, mm-hmm. uh, to being exhausted or facing struggle after struggle, and then to watch them work through that and say, no, like, I want more for myself. I want more from my life, but not in a simple way. Yeah. It felt like somebody was sitting with me in where I was in the most pain. And so the moments where I wanted to just 
give up or wanted to isolate more again, I could go and listen to those songs and be reminded that somebody else has maybe felt that way too, but also what it looked like for them to make the choice to move toward themselves. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I want that too. And it sort of felt like they were there saying to me, you can. Mm. And I'm not sure I can really describe in words how comforting that was for me. Yeah. I'm curious. I think you and I, outside of this, have talked about these dimensions of wellness that mm. we kind of use in therapy, even if we don't talk about them a lot. <laughs> right. Um, and I mentioned them in my last episode, but just for, by way of refresher, they are physical, emotional, spiritual, social, and intellectual. And I guess I'm curious you know, some of those categories kind of come out very strongly as you're discussing how you've been inspired um, by these artists. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering, are there some of those areas maybe that we haven't talked about yet Mm -hmm. that you also feel their impact? Yeah, I think that like, from that, I am valuable, I matter. Maybe I can learn to love myself. That's going to require asking for help and being vulnerable and being open and honest about where I'm hurt and all those things. I can see that how that's led to me making, in some ways, very deliberate decisions about taking care of myself in these ways. Yeah. So things like, for example, spiritually allowed me to get to a place where I could be honest with myself that I stepping into a church again, for example, was not something that was going to feel good or safe for me. And that that was a decision I could go ahead and land on and be okay with. Mm. And that maybe that doesn't have to be forever. Maybe my ideas of spirituality will change over time. But that I could accept myself for where I was in that moment. That it helped you to, like, remove the immediate judgment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another one would be sort of, well physical and relational and emotional, I guess, Um, all of them maybe, is that I really realized how I couldn't really get the support that I needed living here in St. Louis. Mm. I have some really good friends here that I love, that I trust, but it didn't feel like enough of the kind of support community that I needed when I was really not doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, my physical health, while not as bad as it was in 2020, is still not great. And I started to really realize how it was a choice that I was making to be alone. To stay in St. Louis. To stay in St. Louis. You know, I not having a partner here, not having any family here, people, someone I felt like, I felt a lot more permissive to be able to call the drop of a hat and say, like, I need you to come over and sit with me or walk my dog or go to the doctor's appointment with me. Not that, again, not that I couldn't necessarily ask that of my friends, but asking for help was already, as we've described, a barrier for me. And this was kind of an outworking of a lot of that protective, kind of that protective hole you said you dug yourself into was feeling like that was inaccessible, whether or not it actually was. Right. And so, you know, when I was really beginning to ask myself the question, like, what do I need to flourish? 
you know, flourished for wellness for myself. Yeah. Um, support was the biggest one. And, it, and I think I had conflict with myself about it. And then I kind of like finally came to this point of like, why are you making this so complicated for yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, a place you could go right now and get support that would probably be easier to ask for than to ask for from your friends. And that was my family. Yeah. Um, and I'd done a lot of work in therapy in prior years to work through any issues I had there mm-hmm. um, with lingering with my family and our relationship. That might have kept you from that. That might have kept me from that. Yeah. yeah. And might have made that not a place where it was going to help was going to be accessible or support was going to be accessible. And in working, having worked through a lot of that, it opened this up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's going to be the least difficult place for me to ask for help. If asking for help is something that's hard for me, I should probably start with the least difficult place. Hmm. And I think it was, yeah, this definitely this choice. I When I realized it was a choice I was making to stay, to be alone, really. Um, and that... I could make a different choice. It took me a little while to get to the point of actually making that choice. But when I did, it was freeing. Yeah. And then afterwards, terrifying. But yeah, (laughs) but it was something good for myself. You know, even in the times where I've, where I would have doubts, is this the right choice? Is this the best thing for me? Things like, why would I really love this city? Why would I move? I have built my career here. I've built my life here. I would keep coming back to. But you need it. Yeah. And so it was grounding, you know? And I I think it gave some freedom there too. Like that help the help and support doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to be. Right. <laughs> like my my parents are fallible. <laughs> My sister, you know, we all have our own issues. And we have a whole history of being family for our entire lives. Yeah. That is going to be there still. But that's okay. Yeah. Because I'll be getting more of what I need. So, you know, we just kind of have a couple minutes left. And as I'm thinking about all that you said, I'm wondering looking back to the person that hadn't quite yet discovered BTS, hadn't quite found these sources of inspiration to reach out toward more, what would you say to her about flourishing? Or how would you encourage her toward that care for herself? It makes me emotional just thinking about, just thinking about the question. Um... Because I think I would say, like, first of all, it's going to be okay. But I think I would also tell her that the ability to do that is in you. It's always been there. You just needed some help. You just needed some more. You know, I had this moment with my therapist back maybe a year ago. Where I kind of got stuck in this mindset of that I needed to be the one who was taking care of myself because it wasn't going to be, I, I couldn't be dependent on other people to do that. Like I needed to learn how to do it for myself. And I think I was trying to come out this like 
make a choice for myself kind of a place, um, but not in a very healthy way, I think. And she kind of came at me with like, but asking for help when you need it is taking care of yourself. Mm. It is a way to take care of yourself. It's a choice you're making. Nobody else is doing that for you. And I, it was just another one of those ways of peeking into how, you know, my perspective was was a big part of the issue for so long. I yeah, because see. I, you, I probably have heard you say that to me mm-hmm. a million times, but that doesn't mean your brain applied it to you. Right. Yeah. And it was this like this perspective of um, I have access to that. Yeah. I can do that. I can make those choices. And then that's me owning it, owning taking care of myself, not giving that ownership up to somebody else, which is something I've always been worried or scared about. Yeah. Um, because what if, they, what if they say no? Or what if I don't get what I need because I wasn't in control of it? Yeah. But it was no, you know, ask for help if you need it. And if the place you go to get help from doesn't give it to you, move on. Mm-hmm. I couldn't access those things before. Mm-hmm. And I think a large part of it was my perspective was so muffled. It was like blocked by my fear that came from very real pain I'd experienced in my life. And so I think that's probably what I want to say to myself. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, it's going to be okay. It's okay that you're where you're at. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have this in you. You can do it. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And just as a little perspective shift, moving out from under your personal story hat and into your mm-hmm. therapist hat, mm-hmm. what would you say to people who are feeling stuck in seasons or have heard this word flourishing but feel like that's a lot of pressure or like what might expectations of finding flourishing mean for them how can they quote unquote do it right what would you say well first of all there's no do it right Right. (laughs) when she set that up a little (laughs) that's something i also (laughs) believe (laughs) i don't think there's any one right way to do it i think a, a big part of the first step is allowing yourself the space, giving yourself the permission to be exactly where you're at. Mm-hmm. If you are having a hard time, you're having a hard time. If flourishing as you'd like to define it doesn't feel accessible to you, then that's true. That's real for you. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes giving yourselves ourselves the space to just be honest with where we're at and what we're struggling with instead of fighting it or pushing it or um, shutting it down actually is honoring ourselves. Mm-hmm. It is a statement of value. Mm-hmm. And you move toward yourself when you value yourself. So giving yourself space to exist as you are in the moment is moving towards wellness. Yeah. And I think, you know, beyond that, because that does create an open up space, um, you know, we give ourselves permission to be that we can begin to observe ourselves a little bit. Why am I responding in this way? What's happening for me right now? Um, And to begin looking for choice. Mm 
agency? How mm, am I maybe getting in my own way Mm -hmm. of getting what I want for myself? Mm -hmm. What might be some other things happening to me or inside me that are getting in the way of me getting what I want for myself? Mm -hmm. But maybe that's part of the honesty too. You don't just have to be honest with the hard things. Also be honest with your longings. Mm -hmm. This is what I want. I want this for myself. Because you have to start somewhere. And that can feel scary to name. Because what if you don't get it? It can be. I think it's some of the most terrifying parts of this, this kind of a journey. Yeah. And I say that a lot to my clients. That sometimes naming what I want most for myself is the most difficult part. Yeah. Because it automatically puts you into a dilemma. Do I matter or not? Hmm. And if you struggle are struggling with that, if, if mattering feels scary to you in some way, something that's not accessible, then that's a really difficult question to ask. But even the attempt to ask it is movement. Yeah. You know, that was something I really learned in my training was a lot about how, you know, no matter how much we've put up walls or how many strategies we've developed to protect ourselves there will always be a part of you that longs for something better for yourself that longs for it to be different and that can feel threatening but actually tapping into that part of ourselves can be the key to help you move forward well and i think maybe not what you said but what you implied earlier too is shutting down those longings is what numbs you yeah it's tapping into them makes you feel alive again even if it's scary even if it's scary yeah and that you know for me in my story that was the best i could do at the time Mm -hmm. you know shutting down our longings is sometimes the, the strategies we've developed to protect ourselves um but it also became my prison yeah and it was through recognizing longing in myself in very small ways for a while until that got spread open and open and then was really impacted by being introduced to this music group. Yeah. And, but I was still making choices. I chose to pursue that thing that made me feel good and connect to my desires, even though sometimes it hurt. Yeah. To think, I really want that and I don't have it. Um, But it's a deliberate movement towards the longing you have for yourself. But that's always there. Yeah. The longing never really goes away. Yeah. And I think there is, we can find freedom in allowing ourselves to embrace even just a little bit more of the longing that you have. A little bit more today than you did yesterday. Well, and I think that, you know, that for anybody that listened to the last episode, it really underscores something we talked about there too, which is what we're learning here is that flourishing isn't a destination. It's a process and it's a posture, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about dismantling that prison and being free. It's about what is today's movement going to be? Yeah. Is it going to be a step this way or this way? And how can I best listen to myself and be responsive to what 
my heart is telling me, my gut, my instinct. I think that really can can break you out of what can feel like the prison of needing to do it right. Yeah. Because it's not you make one step this way and then that's the trajectory you have to take. Right. Right? It's like one step this way and then tomorrow I go, that wasn't the best step for me. I'm going to step in the other direction. Yeah. You know. Yesterday it was the best step. Today, today it needs to be it something needs to different. Be different. Yeah. You know, I think about that with longings. Like my longings are going to change. Right now I'm one of the deepest longings I have is for support. Mm -hmm. And I think there will probably come a time when I have enough support. It will never not be something I need. Yeah. Or I'll have enough of it that I might be able to tap into a different longing for myself. And I can move towards in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the idea of it being a journey, not a destination. Because if we're trying to get rid of all the things that that weigh on us, you're asking for perfection, and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and that's something I encourage my, my clients with a lot, too, is you don't ever have to completely get rid of a negative thought or a negative thought process. But you can change with how you interact with it. Yeah. And that can change so much. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that same fear or anxiety... It might be with you for the rest of your life, but it doesn't have to ruin the rest of your life or control it. Mm -hmm. Well, we fixed it. <laughs> we got it. We fixed all the broken things. Is everybody better now? I think so. <laughs> well, that's my goal. Rachel's accepting most major insurances <laughs> if you're interested. I do have openings only oh. if you reside in Missouri. Okay, great. <laughs> if anyone's interested in seeing Rachel, reach out to the podcast. We'll put you in contact. Um, Rachel, thank you for your time and for digging deep, even if this wasn't what we had on the agenda for today. <laughs> but thank you for asking and being curious. It feels good to have another person be interested. Yeah. So, thank you. And thanks for being my friend. Oh, thanks for being my friend. <laughs>